So let's get started. Let's get started then. Hi again, everyone. Um, I am your host as always, the Zenith. This is a podcast off the Spirit Channel, and my honoured and esteemed guest is Rich Lewis today. Rich is the author of the book Sitting with God, A Journey to Your True Self Through Centering Prayer. He is also a public speaker and coach. Welcome to the show, Chris. Great. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. You're, you're more than welcome. Um, how are you anyway? How are you keeping? I'm good. I'm good. I'm maybe, hopefully, maybe a little more awake than you. I know it's 10 o'clock your time. I'm, I am uh, just a little bit after 5 p.m. So, I guess, uh, I suppose you, you were, um, that, that's been a bit of a rush then from you from, from the office, maybe potentially into your home to do this. So, um, today actually uh, the, I, was a, ho- a holiday. So, actually, I, I actually did not have work today, um, believe it or wow. not. Um, it's, I'm really- uh, I think it's uh, I think it's president. I think it's President's Day. Don't quote me on it. I don't remember what what I work in the financial services field. Then if the stock market is if the U.S. stock market is closed, we're closed. So today is a stock market holiday. So our office is actually closed. Okay, so rare, rare day off for you then then to, to to spend time with the family and obviously get yourself prepared for this interview. Um, yeah, it is. It's 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 pretty dark, and we are currently um, being bombarded with with storms over here. So, um, I myself have just been ill the past few days, but thankfully I've pulled myself from my my deathbed in order to prepare for this interview. I, I've been waiting for it for quite a while, so I really did not want to miss it. Um, so yeah, uh, obviously, Rich, I, I've read your book. I've I've been on your website. Um, I've read a couple of your blog posts. I have downloaded and listened to maybe about four or five interviews. So um, I think I've got a pretty good idea of, of who you are and where you're coming from. But obviously, you know, anyone who's watching this and any listeners um, have, will have no idea about you. So I guess for me, before we get into the book, um, if you could just even talk a bit about your background, you know, your, your early life as a child where you grew up um, and your, your exposure to Christianity. Um, around there before eventually i don't know whether you actually mentioned that you you abandoned it but certainly when you were a a young man or a a a young adult or maybe an adult and i think you you lived in maybe different countries and had exposure to different religions and philosophies so could you just give us a bit about your background your, your maybe early life and how that was for you in your first kind of um adoption or exposure to, to Christianity at the time? Sure. So I, I guess my mother passed away when I was three and a half. So if she had not, we pro- I probably would have been raised Roman Catholic, but my mother passed away and my dad didn't continue um, going to church. So we didn't, and then he remarried um, about a year, year and a half after she passed away. Um, he did remarry. Um, but we didn't really go to church. So we, I remember going when I was in, I was probably 12 or so. I think we went to a Unitarian church for a year or two, but I wouldn't really consider that a Christian church. And then I guess my exposure to Christianity was in high, in high school. So I was about 16 years old and some of my friends from the neighborhood invited me to go to the youth group. There was a Christian youth group that uh, was part of uh, the Baptist church near us back then. So every Thursday night, it was a group called his house and I got invited to go to that. So that was um, about 90 kids packed into the basement of a house 
I think I think the pastor lived in that house, and he and the the, the youth group met Thursday nights in his basement. About ninety kids, so that was really my first exposure to the Bible and to the and to God, and from the, from the Baptist perspective, um, and a, probably a very conservative Baptist perspective. Um, so I began reading the Bible, and and, and, it, and so initially I, it, I was scared of God <laughs> because their their version of Christianity is 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 can be very scary and threatening. <laughs> so I was kind of scared into accepting God and Jesus as my savior, or I'm going to hell. So I began reading the Bible and, and trying to make sense out of it. So I, I think I was initially just scared, scared to death, but enjoyed the youth group, but was still scared to death, but kept reading uh, the, the Bible. And then I graduated from high school went off to University of Pittsburgh to, to get a bachelor's degree and kind of stepped away from Christianity. I, I tried going to a youth group there and then I sort of stepped away from it for a while. And then when I graduated, I came home um, just to live with my parents just until I got my feet settled because I, I had gotten a job and I was living with them for a short period of time just to get some money in the bank. And they invited, at that point, my parents were going to uh, the United Church of Christ. I don't know if they have any over, over there or not, but it's a, a Protestant, non-denominational church and, and pretty uh, progressive and, and open, open and kind of accepting of every, anybody. So I began going there and really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, they had a women pastor, and sometimes people don't like the idea of a woman as a pastor. So this, this was probably in the, in the early, now this would have been about 88, 89. So uh, people weren't completely ready to have women pastors of churches and, and running churches. Um, but I began then re-exploring God and, and listening to the sermons and, and really started enjoying that church. I'm, I'm in between churches now, but I ended up getting married in that church in 1993. I did a lot of work in that church. I, I led their youth group. I, I led their finance committee. I was the vice president of the church. So I, I was pretty active in that church and really enjoyed it. And then I guess along the way, then I began just exploring and, and reading people such as N.T. Wright and, and Marcus Borg and, and John Dominic Croissant. And then I came across Karma Coleman in, in probably around 2010, 2011. And he talked a lot about contemplative prayer and silence and the transform, transforming power of silence. So that, that was kind of a whole new world for me. Do you have any questions? I feel like I'm going on and on no, and on. No, no, I, <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm enjoying, I'm, I'm actually enjoying the life story. Okay, sure. Um, but sure. yeah, sorry, let, let me just, let me just interrupt there. Um, sure. Say one thing. Yeah, just, just your background there. It, it does sound a lot like, um, like my background, you know, I was raised as a uh, Roman Catholic and, you know, in our country um, here in, in Ireland. Um, it has been a big uh, religious uh, country and only very recently we've seen the, the kind of separation of, of church and state, but the church has played a, a very large um, part in people's lives. And um, I think we, we were kind of indoctrinated into that kind of farm brimstone um, uh, way of thinking and, and way of believing that was the only way that we could get God's love if we repented and you know, told our sins and, you know, it was only through, you know, the, 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 um, 
the acceptance of Jesus Christ as your saviour, that you would be saved from this here. Um, so I, I guess probably similar to, to your experience is that I guess obviously now it's 2022 and obviously throughout the years people have keep, people have kind of turned away from, from that. Um, the church here has been kind of slow to modernise to, to, to remove that kind of um, old, old teachings. Um, but also, I guess, in my country too, and especially in the north part of Ireland, we, we, have, uh, we have had a sectarian conflict for, I don't know, since basically 1916, which has is, which is pretty much been divided along Protestant and Catholic lives. And um, there's been many, many uh, terrorist groups which have um, sort of uh, um, been, been splintered and... Um, I've, I've taken sides, you know, along these religious denominations and it's caused a lot of, uh, a lot of killings, a lot of bombings and conflicts and stuff like that. So I, I think a, a lot of people in, in, in our country here are very jaded with, with the idea of Christianity and for that reason a lot of them turned away. And I, I don't want to, to go on here because we'll, we'll get into this too, but um, I think this is the reason why, for me especially, and a lot of people, they're, they're very turned off by anyone who... who defines himself as a Christian or a born-again Christian or accepts Jesus, you know, into their life because of those those reasons, our upbringing, our exposure to that kind of thing. But what I really like about you and what what inspired me to um, to invite you on to a guest, the more I found out about you, is that you, you don't have this traditional idea of the way you were raised and the way I was raised of God, of Jesus. You have a very different um idea and concept of that and hopefully we'll, we'll we'll get that through to listeners and give them um give them an idea and give them something to think about so um yeah if, if you don't mind just continue on where you were where you were sure so i began reading books by a gentleman by the name of carl mccullman probably in 2010 2011 2012 and he talked a lot about contemplative prayer and silence and how powerful and transforming it was. So that really intrigued me because that was a, a kind of a whole new world that I that I I knew I was interested in, but I didn't I just didn't know what to do of it, what to make of it, and how to practice silence. And, and I don't I read in reading his books, I don't remember him sharing. I since learned he practiced his centering prayer, but I don't remember him sharing his that he did that in his books. So I would just sit in silence and try it. And I remember being brutal and I would kind of force myself to sit for one, two or three minutes because I knew there was something there. I just didn't know what it was. But then luckily I came across in 2013, I was simply perusing Amazon looking for a book to read. And this was in around the fourth quarter of, of 2013. And I found a book called Healing the Divide, Recovering Christianity's Mystic Roots by a gentleman by the name of Amos Smith. So I began reading his book, and in his book, he talked about a practice called centering prayer that he had been doing for about 15 years. So that immediately intrigued me because I thought, now here's, here's the practice, here's something I can do in the silence. So I began trying it for myself, and I also reached out to him on his website, emailed him, and, be, and asked him some questions. And to my surprise, he responded, and we began a back-and-forth email dialogue. So I continued to practice centering prayer. I continue to read other books on centering prayer uh, by people such as Thomas Keating, Basil Pennington, um, David Frenette, Cynthia Bourgeau. 
And I began continuing a dialogue with him. And then we really be, and we became friends and we're friends really to this day. And in fact, we talk about once a month and he, he's, he's the reason for my book. He had, he had written that book. He was in the middle of writing another book that came out in 2018. And he was the one that challenged me to write a book because he thought I had something important to say and share with people regarding centering prayer and how it has changed me. So Centering prayer has. I've been practicing centering prayer now pretty faithfully since June of 2014 on a daily basis. In fact, as much as possible, twice per day. And it really has changed me and it's changed the way I think about God and, and that God, my initial introduction to God and the Bible, as I mentioned, was when I was 16 and it was more a fear-based reaction to God and God up in the sky looking at me and judging me. But centering prayer showed me a completely different God. Well, I guess God, God had never changed. It was just who I thought God was. But centering prayer changed God for me and the way I perceive God. So God is not up looking at me. God, God is all over the place. God is you know, in me, within me, and I don't mean I'm God. Some people may think, Rich thinks he's God, but no, God is within me. You know, God is walking, is pushing behind me, pushing me forward. God is walking with me. God is in front of me, pulling me forward. But God is a loving presence that loves me and isn't judging me and isn't critiquing me and is very patient with me and, and waits for me. So centering prayer has really changed who God is for me and that God loves me unconditionally and isn't judging me and is not critical of me and, and, and is patient and waits for me. So it's, it's been a wonderful practice. And, and I like to share with people because I think it can change who, who God is for, for you or how you perceive God. Absolutely. <clears throat> I guess then the, the, the big question then for, for anyone listening to this here exactly what is this guy talking about centering prayer okay i get the prayer bit um i get the part where he says he's with god but what what is this centering what what exactly is it sure so centering prayer his little history has been around since the early 1970s it was actually created by three trappist monks so three catholic priests saw transcendental meditation and other forms of meditation going on and they wanted something for the christian community and one of them, Father William Manager, was reading a, fourth, I believe it's the 14th century book called The Cloud of Unknowing. And as he read this book, kind of a method of, of silent prayer, silent meditation kind of jumped out, out of the pages out of as he read the book. So uh, the three priests, three Catholic monks um, began teaching, and I'll say what centering prayers, but began teaching centering prayer to the clergy. And then they began rolling it out to, to the public. And then about 10 years later, in 1984, the Contemplative Outreach Organization was created, which is really the main centering prayer group. And they have a website, it's contemplativeoutreach.org, and has a ton of centering prayer resources and, and events and groups that practice internationally, not, not just in the U.S., but all, all, all over the world. So centering prayer, I guess, has been around for about 50 years, and it's really considered two things. It's considered um, meditation, but it's also considered a relationship with God. So, and how you do the practices, you simply sit comfortably with your eyes closed, and then interiorly you introduce what's called a sacred word. You can use an image as well, but 
you introduce a word of one or two syllables, and that really just means you're, you're starting your silent sit and you're opening to the presence and actions of God within. And then as you're sitting there, when you begin planning your day and thinking about what you're going to do after you get up from your sit, you, you begin to realize you're not sitting with yourself. You're not sitting with God anymore. You're sitting with your thoughts and your planning and your plotting. So interiorly, you reintroduce that word to come back to the present moment and to come back to the purpose of your sit, which, which is really just to sit with God and open to the presence and actions of God within and let go of you and all your thought, engaged thoughts. And that's really what you do during the during your silent sit. If you're sitting for five minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 20 minutes, whenever you engage your thoughts, you just bring the sacred word back to your mind interiorly to come back to the present moment, let go of the sacred word and let go of your thoughts. So it's a continuous return to God, a continuous return to the present moment during your silent sit. And that's how you, that's how you do the practice. It sounds simple, but for some people sitting for five or 10 minutes can seem like an eternity. So, and I don't suggest maybe you start with a long sit. You start with a couple minutes or five minutes and work your way up. Um, and instead of jumping right to 20 minutes as, as a, you know, a time to sit. So that's a little bit about the history of Centering Prayer. 50 years old, created by three um, Trappist monks. But really anyone can come and sit because some people will say, well, is it exclusively Christian? No, it it doesn't have to be. Anybody can try it and and see what happens. I mean, I believe I'm sitting with God and I'm opening to the presence and actions of God within. But some people, maybe they don't know. They don't know who is God, what is God, what do they think, what do they believe? So you can come to this practice wherever you are and, and try it and see what happens. It's so I, in my mind, and they don't read it that way either. It's not exclusive Christian practice. And if you're not a Christian, you're not allowed to practice it. That's absolutely not true. Anybody can try this practice and see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Just when you were mentioning there, it, it's released in the meditation and, um, you know, the use of your visualization and your, your sacred word. It does sound to be a lot like, um, or it seems to be kind of like a blend of Eastern philosophy um with 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 christian um christian religion christian practices you know because obviously i do a lot of meditation i've talked um about uh ways to meditate in my own podcast and i've mentioned um you know the use of a mantra be it a word two words um visualization of keeping something in your head also the breath as well would play a big part in in our practices of meditation um i guess that's obviously another way to, to keep the focus you know upon what it is you're, you're trying to do um and i guess in a way too for for those who are maybe kind of maybe a bit further in, in their meditations and certainly for me it just seems to be something very very similar to my practices i i try to invite god or the creator whatever you want to call it that to come and enter me and try to form this relationship um and try to find that presence within so it definitely sounds very very similar to to these practices so i think it um you're, you're absolutely right it, it, it it's universal it, it's just that because um some people w- would have a tensey sort of a a history with, with christianity or maybe a negative um thought pattern around Christianity they may be put off it so I think that's why it's very important why you're explaining exactly what it is it doesn't have to be 
a specifically Christian practice. I'm just kind of wondering, um, just where I mentioned about my meditations and stuff like that, and I know that you were exposed to different religions and philosophies. You, you were definitely um, exposed to the Buddhist philosophy. I'm just kind of wondering, did you take anything out of that and... Can you maybe see the similarities and in, into in how maybe the way the Buddhists practice in this this idea of centering prayer? I guess what I was I was exposed to when I was at uh, when I, I was at, spent twenty years at the United Church of Christ and and our pastor at the time believed in a lot of interfaith dialogue. So we visited a Buddhist temples. So maybe referring to in my book, I, we went and visited a Buddhist a Wan Buddhist temple and experienced that. So that that was a neat experience where. The, they they did um you know a silent sit meditation the difference there was your eyes were open rather than during centering prayer i close my eyes but you don't have to close your eyes in centering prayer i just choose to but so at the wan buddhist temple i, I remember my eyes were open and you kind of look down the bridge of your nose um and that was for 20 minutes and that that i and that trying i don't think i don't remember them teaching like a letting goes in centering prayer and coming back to the present moment. I think I just remember just quietly sitting there and looking, looking down the bridge of your nose. So I, I really, I guess I practiced centering prayer with my eyes open while I did that. And I think that was okay. And then they did a 10 minute chant, um, which I, I didn't know how I would react to that because I didn't know whether I could actually chant something for 10 minutes and would I even like it or to be able to tolerate it. And I was shocked to find out like it was really, I did it and it went quickly. And and I guess it's different in that it's, it's almost like a constant mantra over and over again, staying in the present moment. And I began to realize it really was a neat experience and, I, and it wasn't as painful as I thought it would be. <laughs> and then the last thing they did, which was really neat, was a walking meditation. And I think it was, I don't, I don't know, it was probably, I'm going to say it in, in, in you probably use meters, so I'm not sure how many meters it was. It was probably a 12 feet circle that we walked in and we walked really slow to the fact where I, I was trying to keep my balance until I finally could, because you would, you would, where you're at the, your, your heel and would slowly go down and your toe would touch and then you'd continue to walk. It was extremely slow walk, but I ended up finding that was really relaxing. And that was almost like a that was a, it was almost like doing centering prayer while I was walking. And that was a neat experience. And I don't even know how long we walked. We just did kind of a full circle, but it took forever because we walked slower than I've ever walked in my life. But that was a neat experience. And then, the, we, then there was a talk. There was a Dharma talk, I guess, as they call it. Um, and I don't <laughs> remember. Actually, the pastor of our church gave the Dharma talk. I don't remember what he discussed at that time. But, but it was just a neat experience, just experiencing um, those three types of contemplative practices and and wondering how I would feel. And I really I think I really enjoyed the the walking meditation. That, that was really a neat experience. Yeah. See, I, I, I'm just wondering about your idea because you, you mentioned this quite a lot. Does it sending prayer as a comp can't get the word out? Contemplative form of um, prayer. And I just wonder what your, your definition of because for me, um, I, I have three practices too in my life and they're meditation, contemplation and prayer. And each of them is obviously very different from, from one another. Meditation is, is about learning to go into the silence and clearing the mind. Prayer obviously is, is, is obviously asking or you know reaching out. Um, but for contemplation for me is normally something that I would do 
um, on a nature walk on my own and, and just think, you know, just be alone with my own thoughts. So I'm just kind of wondering, is your form of contemplation or contemplative prayer different from, I guess, maybe the standard form of, of contemplation? Uh, I would say no. So I guess centering prayer is really a practice that leads you into contemplative prayer. So really is how I think of it is and how the centering prayer teachers and even the people that created it is it's really just a practice or tool that opens you up to contemplative prayer. So it's a practice, as I said, of sitting and using your sacred word to come back to the present moment when you engage your thoughts and then it brings you it's it's kind of a window into contemplative prayer where you're just little b is with big b you're, and you're just being with life being with god so contemplative prayer is just opening to to, to life and being present to life and and it, i guess i think of it as wordless um but you can do that you know painting and walking you're not you're not talking you're you're just quiet and being with life and being with the present moment however that is whether it's photography or painting or taking a walk or 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 meditating you're quiet and you're being being with life beyond words beyond words and thoughts i mean you can even think of contemplative prayer as looking at a beautiful scene you're wordless and you don't have any words to say, but you're enjoying it. And, and, and it's this, you know, the sky's beautiful. The sun's beautiful. The mountains or whatever you're looking at are just amazing. And it's beyond words. And then as soon as you start talking, you've snapped out of contemplative prayer. Yeah. You, you see that, that's why I enjoyed your book because you're able to express these concepts better, better than I can. You're, you're absolutely right. You know, maybe that's what I was trying to, to grasp but I, I couldn't quite do it. It, it it's more than just walking in nature and just just thinking you're right it, it's absorbing that scenery around you it, it, it's taking in life in a in a in a wordless form it's, it's all those things that you absolutely said i just couldn't really express it as well as you um yeah so back to um let's get back to to the to the to, to the sits because i know that um you mentioned there that actually the one thing that I wanted to ask is who came up with the idea of 20 minutes do you know and why does why do you think 20 minutes works better than 10 minutes or 30 minutes or 40 or 50 minutes I think they just think it takes that much time uh, for your mind to settle so and, and maybe some people are quicker than others but they figure 20 minutes is, is a reasonable period of time to allow yourself to sit and slow down so you know five minutes you may, maybe you're just maybe after five minutes, you're just beginning to. And then, and if so, if you do a five minute sit, you really haven't settled down. Maybe you're ready to, maybe you are settled down, but you're getting up because you've decided your sit is over. So in many cases it can take, you know, 10 minutes or so to settle your mind. And then you have a good 10 minutes of maybe a deeper silence than the first five minutes. So I, th I think it's just, it could take that much time to go deeper and deeper into the silence. So, so perhaps the last few minutes or the last five minutes of your sit, you're, you're deeper than the beginning of your sit. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I, I would like to ask, I suppose is and probably because I, I'm not that dedicated and that was another thing that I've, that I've learned from, from you is that I really need to, to rededicate myself in, in the way that you have to my own forms of meditation. But probably because I don't have that dedication, um, and probably like you in the early days. But I'm assuming you're you're just you just have the mind of a Zen master now, so you. <laughs> 
But for me, you know, sometimes I'll sit down and I'll try that 20 minute and I can't, I can't still the mind. It's a jumble and I'm going, oh, this is, this has just been no good. 20 minutes has come and gone and I haven't been able to, to, to rest the mind. Um, so I, I think potentially that's, that's why it's, it's very important, as you say, to, to make this a daily practice. I think meditation or um, centering prayer um, is a form of um, meditation or whatever you want to call it. But as many people say, um, the mind is a muscle and it's like any other muscle. Unless you exercise that with daily repetition, it becomes sluggish and slow. So you really need to, to retrain that after a period of absence. I don't know if that's something that maybe you can speak to, you've had experiences of. I know now that you have a, a daily practice of it, but I'm wondering, was there maybe times in, in your early days or in your early practices where you didn't have that daily dedication? And if you didn't, did you find it hard to, to come back and still the mind? I guess the first thing I'll say is, I mean, all my sits are, you know, are different. So some of them, I, I do have more racing thoughts than others. So just because you have more racing thoughts during one silent sit versus another doesn't mean you're failing at the practice. I mean, if you if you show up, um, it's successful and, and, and you're, you're sitting in the present moment with God and God is, I think of it as a reverse prayer. God is praying in me what God knows I need because I'm getting myself out of the way. So you really can't fail at centering prayer. The only way you fail at meditation is it not showing up. And that doesn't mean you're a failure. <laughs> failure. Simply show up for your, your next sit and, and God's not angry at me. God will patiently wait for me to come, come to my next sit. So no, I'm not, um, I don't have, each sit can be different. Some have more racing thoughts than others. Some go extremely fast and I don't know where the time went, but I know I didn't fall asleep. But really the most important thing is, is really just to show up. So it, I guess before centering prayer, it was difficult, as I said, to sit in, in silence. So for the, for the three months or three, four months where I was just sitting in silence, it was hard and, and I had to force myself to do it. But it was interesting how when I began, when I decided, okay, I'm going to practice centering prayer faithfully on a daily basis. I, I guess I've been, I was, I guess when I discovered centering prayer in like December or so of 2013, I was kind of dabbling in it and not making it, you know, and a long, not making it, I think I was doing it every day, but I was dabbling in it, doing it a few minutes, doing it five minutes. But then there was something about I don't know what was so magical about it, but June 1, 2014, I decided I was going to jump in this swim, centering prayer swimming pool, I'll call it, and try to do it twice a day and try to do it for 20 minutes. And it wasn't, I think I was just ready. So it wasn't that hard. But I guess now that I look back, I probably had been trying to sit in silence for about three quarters of a year. So probably eight, nine months of sitting in silence and struggling through it and then I think it was just an intention. I think something inside me said, you can do this and why don't you try it twice a day for 20 minutes and see what happens. And I think I just let go and relaxed and it became, it became easy, but I guess I was struggling probably for a good six, eight months until I just let go, let myself go into the silence. <laughs> yeah. And I, I also know that, um, once again, because your own practices, and this is what I what I actually learned and loved about reading your book, 
and, and listening to your, your own practices really do show up my own practices because I don't have that dedication. But on top of your first sit, you also have a second sit in the afternoon, isn't that right? Yes. So when I started practicing centering prayer, the, the first sit was first thing I do as I begin my day. And I would recommend that for anybody that's new, you know, make it the first thing you do. And even if it's five minutes, make it the first thing you do to begin your day, then get on with your day. Uh, but then, yes, the second, when I first started practicing centering prayer, um, my second sit was after dinner. And then I decided that really wasn't maybe the best time to do it because I felt like I was taking time away from my wife and my kids at the time. So then I shifted it to right before lunch. And this was pre-COVID. So I was actually, I've been working it from home for, for the last two years, but pre-COVID I was working in, in an office building. So my second sit was actually in my car. I would actually leave my work desk and go to my car and do a 20 minute sit and then come in and then eat my lunch and then re resume my day. So yes, so I, I, the idea of two, you know, the first sit starts your day and then the second sit, you know, I guess the interior reservoir runs dry. The, the second sit kind of refills you, resets you, reconnects you to God, reconnects you to life and helps you finish the second half of the day, you know, just as productively and powerfully as, as the first half of the day. So I like to tell people, you know, once you have an established practice and, and you're doing it in the morning, perhaps, you know, try to add a second sit. You'll be pleasantly surprised at how it helps the second half of the day. So many people will say, oh, I can't do it. I'm too busy. And I'll tell them, just try it. It has a way of giving you back time. And that's what I've really discovered is no matter how busy I am, I stop and do my second sit. And I need that second sit. And it helps me finish the day. And in fact, uh, Right now, I, I've actually added a third sit. Work's been very busy. So, and I did that a couple of years back too. So, but I lower, I would lower the time frame. So I might do, or I would, or I would do a 20 minute sit first thing. And then I would do like a seven or 10 minute sit. And then two or three hours later, do a, a second, you know, shorter sit as well. And then I find that I need that right now because of how busy I am. But then when things calm down, I'll shift back to just the twice a day. And I did that about, in 20, I think it was 2017, I, work was really busy and I sh shifted to three sets for a period of time and then it shifted back to the two sets when work got a little bit calmer. But it has a way of giving you back time, uh, but you, you won't experience it unless you try it for yourself. It, 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 it does help you. It helps you you know, finish your day and it helps you focus on the tasks that you need to. And because if you think about it, you're letting go and centering prayer, you're letting go of your thoughts and emotions that you're engaging. And you do the same thing during the day. You let go of what you don't need to do and focus on and hone in and focus on what you do need to focus on. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, it's the strangest thing um, because you think that it would be counterproductive when you dedicate that time to doing the sit or to doing the meditation that um, <laughs> don't have time for this. But you're, you're absolutely right. For some reason, um, you actually end up with more time than you originally thought that you did. Um, and, and one, I, I would do some writing as well, um, some inspired writing. And one of the things that, that came to me was, um, it's kind of like we know that meditation and centric practices like centering prayer um, are the most important um, practices you can do for you know large reasons that we'll get into later in the interview 
Um, obviously, the, the connection with God is, is first and foremost. Um, so if this is the most important practice that you can do, why is it relegated then to the last thing that you decide to do? Because we always put our chores, the housework needs done, I can't you know, get my practice, I've emails to catch up on, you know, my practice will have to wait. I have chores around the house of the kids' homeworks to do, um, or that favorite program is on, I'll, I'll do it after. So we, we kind of relegate this, um, this practice of centering prayer meditation to, um, to the end of our day. If we can squeeze it in, then um, we will. But only if we can get to all these other chores first, when it should actually be the complete opposite, as you mentioned there, it should be the first and foremost thing that we do. And if we if we do um, get into a practice of doing it, as you said, it brings this calmness, this stillness to ourselves. A lot of things drop away that we begin to realize that are not really important in our day. And it actually does give us back quite a lot of time. So yeah, I absolutely agree with you on, on that. Now, just what you mentioned there in your second sit that um, you would have taken yourself off out, out to your car. I and mean, when I was reading this, I was wondering myself, <laughs> where is he parked? Why does he sit in his car? You know, is there people going by? Is there traffic? You know, how does he blot all that out if, if you're in a public space? I, I don't know, maybe you're parked underground in, a, in, a, in an underground car park. I guess where I work, it's kind of a suburb. It's, it's, it's quiet. So it's, it's, it's not near a main road. So I'm not, I'm not hearing cars. I'm not hearing trains or buses. So it's, it's actually a very quiet parking lot. And in the summer or, or spring, I could even park kind of under a tree so that I would be shaded and it would be too hot. So, and even in the winter, I would go out there. So I, I would start my car just to warm up the car. Then I would turn it off and then do my centering prayer sit because I, I got warm enough. So it, I guess it was a quiet enough space. So yeah, it is important to, as much as possible to wherever you practice it, to try to be in a distraction free environment um, where you're not hearing a lot of noise and sounds. So it clearly was you know, a very calm, uh, peaceful place. And, and I would actually, if I looked around, I could see pe other people and sitting in their cars too. Some people were just taking naps. <laughs> so it, it was quiet. It was a, it was a quiet space. And you're, obviously you've mentioned about your co-workers because you've obviously had the lead. Your co-workers do know, do know now, obviously, what it is that, you know, that you do. I'm sure at the beginning you would have got a lot of questions and, I don't know, maybe if you're like me, you work in an environment where <laughs> people think this is a bit of a funny practice and you do get a bit of um, jibing towards it. But I'm, I'm kind of wondering, over time, you know, when, when people just accepted this as, oh, this is just what Rich does. Has there anyone from your work came up and asked, like, what is it that you're doing? And, is, you know, obviously you've explained to them what it is you do and the, the benefits that you received. I'm wondering, has there been anyone that maybe out of your workplace that you, has has been inspired or has asked, you know, would you, would you teach them this practice? I, I guess, they, and the coworkers did notice it. They, I guess they would notice that I was leaving kind of right before lunch, and they, and I think they would watch out the window. They, were, they saw me walk to my car, and they were so they were kind of watching me. So I did get asked what was I what was I doing. So I remember two or three people in my aisle where I sat asked me that. So I, I told them what I was doing and shared it with them. Um, and they were, I mean, we were all friends and. Well, 
one of them was more interested in than the others. So I kind of shared the practice and, and how I did it and shared it for them. I don't know if they actually practiced it or not. So they, they, were, they were just curious. They could see me leaving and they and they could see that I was sitting in my car. So they simply asked me what I was doing and, and I explained it to them. And one of them was just more interested in, in it than the others. So I shared you know, with her what it was I was doing and, and, and how you do the practice. And I don't know if she ever... I don't know if she started up a practice of her own, but she was more curious than the others. And they were all very nice. So no, no one was, you know, it was all in a nice, no mean spirit. It was all nice. They were just curious because they're wondering what I was doing and they knew I was leaving my desk and going to my car every day. <laughs> Lovely. Um, yeah, so we, we talked just briefly there about um, silence and building up that um What's the word building up that tolerance i guess to, to silence because it's especially in today's society it's not something that we are used to we are bombarded with noise from every single direction people um i think people are afraid to sit and be alone with their own thoughts people are afraid to sit in the silence many people that we see nowadays who who are just constantly glued to their phone screens they cannot sit on a on a bus or a train um, without without their phone glued or if people are afraid to, to be alone with their own thoughts when they're out walking they'll have earphones on playing music or, or playing something um, and even just uh, the noise of, of televisions radios car horns and um, even frequencies we're just bombarded today with noise um, and it, it just seems as you mentioned in your book countercultural. Um, in today's society to actually relearn that um, art of, of, of learning to be alone in your own thoughts and learning to, to increase the silence. Um, I know it's, 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 it's something that um, through my own practices, it's, it's something that I um, have relish, I guess, those periods of, of, of alone in the silence, but it is something that you have to, to work at and, and, and train yourself to, as you mentioned, build yourself up from a minute, two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, because there is a lot of, um, we only become aware of this when we, when we um, find practices like centering prayer or any form of meditation, um, we begin to actually recognize all of the amount of um, junk, perhaps, that, that actually floats about in our head um, and so we need to build up a tolerance to that i always often find that um or people would say to me that they can't shut out that noise in their head and um, they're filled with everything of, of as you say what i need to do for the day or tomorrow or any sort of unwelcome thoughts or emotions could you speak perhaps on that and give me your thoughts sure sure um i mean i guess and, and it is hard. I mean, I, I guess just being sitting and being helps with with, with our doing is <laughs> the way, way I look at it. Um, as you continue to take the time to sit in silence, then you notice maybe fruits of the practice. And for me, it's, you know, graces from God um, that God has graced me with. So when I think about my practice, uh, when I started, first started, and I think about where I'm at now and how it has changed me, you know, I'm definitely 
you know, I'm a much more confident person in myself. I'm, I'm a much more excited person to live life on a daily basis. Not that I was you know, drudging living life, but I, maybe it's because I'm more present and, and you can kind of notice things and, and notice what you're enjoying. You know, I th- I'm, I'm better able to let go of things that don't require my attention. I mean, my need to do list at work is, is long and I'm able to let go of what doesn't have to happen and focus on the, you know, the three, four five things that have to happen. Centering prayer has helped me kind of get out of my comfort zone and try and do new things. Really what I'm doing now, I mean, was none of this stuff was on my radar screen. I, I began practicing centering prayer um, and began meeting a lot of neat, interesting people. And the, the book was, that was not on my radar screen. I never, I never had an inkling of wanting to write a book, the idea of writing a book. I, I would never be on podcasts such as this. And, and, and I've been on a ton of podcasts. I've been doing a lot of guest speaking. I've been doing some one-on-one coaching and, and teaching. None of this was on the radar screen and it's, it scared the heck out of me. So Centering Prayer has shown me what I need, what I should be doing and what are the things I should be sharing, even if they're out of my comfort zone. So, um, and then I think just inner peace and calm. I'm still work on, in progress in that area, but I think when, when I get rattled and, and life gets scary and, and unexpected things happen, I'm better able to slow down and, and calm myself down and then decide, well, what, what, can I, what do I need to let go of and what, do, what can I do and what can I focus on as a result of what has just happened? So Centering Prayer is just a ton of fruits that God has graced me with as a result of the practice. So all the noises in your head can kind of settle and then you can hone in on the present moment. Yeah. Um, you've also mentioned, and, and I would can, re- can relate once again, that even more than the, those benefits that you've mentioned, there's, there's, a, there's a very deep healing that goes on inside, um, inside practices, sitting in the silence, centering prayer. Um, we heal the emotional, we heal the mental state. Um, as you mentioned, it, it provides so many benefits to us. And um, we become calmer, more centered, um, less prone to emotional outbursts or anxiety, which you've mentioned quite a lot, and I can relate to that too. Um, it doesn't doesn't evaporate, but seems to um, seems to become less prevalent in our lives. Um, we surrender to God. We 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 feel that love that comes through from God. It's 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 it's, it's such a it's such a healing uh, kind of love, and we let go of attachments as you turn around and say like your your to do list or anything that, uh, that 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 we feel anxiety around. I think that's um, one of the great maybe Buddhist traditions is that attachments are the root of all suffering. When we have attachments, we have anxiety. So I absolutely find that if I don't um, have those periods of um, of entering into the silence, of centering prayer, of, of meditation, then I begin to, to find those um, periods of anxiety, those um, jumble of thoughts begin to increase in my everyday life. And it's, I recognize then that it, I need or I have gotten away from my, my practice. And when I go back into that practice, um, I, as I said, I absolutely find the same conditions that you find. The emotional and mental state become healed. I feel love and, and surrender to God. Is this something that um, that you would find too, potentially? That, um, I do. 
Go ahead. Sure. No, I mean, I definitely do. I mean, centering prayer is a safe place to be healed in many different ways. If you think about it, your body holds a lot of tension and each one of us can knows where we hold our tension, or maybe sometimes we don't know. We can hold it in our foreheads, in our shoulders, in our stomach, in, in our throats, anywhere. So during meditation, I'll just say meditation, when you keep practicing on a daily basis, you know, week after week, month after month, year after year, the tension in your body is released. It just has to. And then, you know, you're letting go of thoughts and emotions as you sit in meditation and, and you're letting go of them. And then in many cases, repress thoughts and emotions that you didn't even know you had that go all the way back to probably being a baby or, or being released. So meditation is just healing. Uh, the, you know, the tension of a lifetime in our bodies is released over time and thoughts are released and repressed thoughts and emotions are released. And it's I guess it's the only thing I can think of it is it's really just true freedom. We don't need to be carrying around this baggage of a lifetime. So it, it over time, it is freeing emotionally and, and physically. And then you can live from a, a different person where you're not afraid. Maybe you're holding on to thoughts you're telling yourself that aren't true, that I'm the wrong person for this task, or I don't have the confidence to do it, or I don't have the, the guts to try something new that I've always wanted to do. Um, you begin to let go of all these thoughts and, and just move forward in life and try and do new things and things that scare the heck out of you, but you do them anyhow, and then you're so glad you did them. So you, as I think about it, you, you, you begin to learn to live from your true self, the person God wants you to be, and, and the person God is kind of patiently waiting for you to be. Um, a meditation practice can is freedom, really. It helps you live from this person and 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 that's what I've been doing, I guess, really, since I've been practicing Centering Prayer. I have, I have my day job, but I've been sharing Centering Prayer in many different ways um, because I think it's important and I think it can help people. And it's a practice that can you know, help people live from their true self, uh, the person God wants them to be, the person um, that they've always wanted to be, but were afraid to show up and, and be and act from. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously the, the way that you do this is, is through your, your, your form of centering prayer, which is, as you say, it's, it's a form of silent prayer, but it's, it's a way of, it's, it's a bit different from meditation where I think a lot of meditative practices are, are just sort of kind of sitting there in the silence. What you're doing is that you, you're actually inviting God to come and, and be with you and pray through you. So it's something that, that, that's a bit different and Tennessee can can um can invite a more deeper connection with God, which is which is what I like about it. You have a quote there, um, which I know all too well. Um, I can't remember the Zen master that said it, but in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, but in the expert's mind, there are few. And I guess, as you say, it it it's about realizing um once you begin to deepen your practice that um. There are only a few choices that we actually need. Um, we don't need to make our practices complicated. Um, when we when we deepen our practices, um, I'm trying to think of what it is that, that I'm trying to convey here. We find that um, rather than having so many choices in our mind being a clutter, we, we come out of that practice and we find that um, if we don't have a, a, a small number of choices, we, we maybe only have one and we instinctively know what it actually is. 
that that we that we need to do or what it is that we need to to carry on with maybe that is what you refer to as um asking god to work through you to um what's what's the term um to to help you and work through you for your day if that makes any sense no it does and i think silence shows me you know helps me teaches me who I am, as my website says, it, it shows me what I should be doing and what I should let go of and what I need to hone in and, and focus on. So that I've, that at least it, that's what it seems to have happened for me as I look, as I look back at the, my practice, Centering Prayer seems to show me how to live each day and, and what to let go of and what to focus on, what to let somebody else do, what, what maybe doesn't even need to be done and, and I need to just take it off my, my list and, and what are things I should do even if they're out of my comfort zone. So it, it seems to show me what I, what I should do and what I, what I need to let go of. It just seems to happen. It's, it's hard to explain other than it, it, it does. I think you just take the gesture or posture of centering prayer, the letting go that you do in centering prayer follows you into your day-to-day -day life. You, let, you learn to let go of what the moment doesn't need of you and hone in and focus on what what it does yeah it's, it's a form of surrender isn't it it's just it's, it's having that trust in in god and um, the creator it's, it's having that trust to to turn around and say like i'm here i am your instrument i i put my trust in you work through me um i surrender to whatever it is that you wish for me or whatever way i i should I should live my life. I have no resistance. I think when we have a resistance and we think that this is the way that we should be behaving or the way that our, our lives should be run, we, we, we encounter problems. So I think, it, as you mentioned in Centering Prayer, when we invite God to, to work through us and we surrender to his presence, we we will find that our lives begin to make much more sense and, and, and are generally um, a lot more happier and a lot more joy-filled. I, I want to move on to that word God um, because I find that, and it certainly has been for me, it, it seems to be a bit of a barrier. I think maybe you mentioned this in your book too, that the concept of God um, or the word of God is a barrier and many people will choose not to use this word. Some people, like me, um, prefer to use the word the creator. Some people will say source. Um, you interestingly, interestingly enough refer to God as she um, because as you rightly say God is beyond gender and so I'm, I'm kind of wondering about those biases and, and preconceptions that we have regarding terminology. Um, I mentioned just before the start of the interview um, certainly I had biases and, and, and preconceptions regarding anyone who, who maybe considered themselves as a Christian because of my upbringing but it's when you, as you point out in your book, when you have a form of centering prayer, um, you just begin to change. You begin to, 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 to start to listen. You put away those biases, preconceptions um, about things um, and begin to actually listen and, and potentially learn of other people. So, yeah, I mean, God is really beyond thoughts, words, emotions. So these are all pronouns or, or what we refer to as God, whether higher power, spirit, God, um, infinite wisdom, infinite guidance, 
Um, and, and even, and as I look back at the book, and I don't remember, I, I know I alternated with pronouns. And I, I guess the more I looked at the book, I didn't realize how many she's were in there. And I don't remember at this point whether that was me or the editor throwing them in there. Um, and some people, I, and a few people emailed me saying, you know, God is not a she, and they were upset with me. And one person said I had to stop, you know, I had to stop reading the book. I can't continue reading it. But then it was neat about, and I just explained to them that God is really beyond gender and God has kind of motherly um, characteristics of, of a of loving mother that loves us and nurtures us. And sometimes God is maybe thought of as powerful and, and more manly, but it was really a, a that was really my only intention is God is beyond gender. God is beyond thoughts and emotions. So, so it is a struggle because I didn't want to be he, 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 he throughout the book. And you don't want to be saying spirit, 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 or higher power. So I think I, at the beginning of the book, we, I mentioned, or I had it mentioned that I, I alternated, but obviously that, that one person that I mentioned actually came back to me a few weeks later and said, I got over it and, and I understand and I'm enjoying your book. So, but there was a, a few people, it, it just struck them. They, they couldn't accept God as she, and I would clarify, well, I'm not saying God is she, it's really just a pronoun. And, and sometimes you struggle when you're writing what are you going to call it? God, he, she, spirit. So it was, I wasn't trying to pigeonhole God into being anything, but it was just, I had to call God something as I wrote throughout the book. So sometimes I, I you know, I wonder, should I've had less she's in there, but the more I think about it, it, it's fine. What I did was, was fine. And it's a pronoun and God is beyond pronouns and, and, God is silent. And actually, as I'm sitting in silence with God, I'm not even giving God words. I'm sitting in silence with God that's beyond beyond words. Absolutely. And it's just and just is, you know, God is. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And I guess it, it is due to people's own biases and and preconceptions of what God is and what they believe about it. And it, it is hard for people to to put those biases and preconceptions away. As I said, I I had to, um, and I'm really glad that I did, you know, put away what, what I believed, um, someone who was, a, a, well, maybe not a devout Christian, but certainly um, I learned that you and potentially other people are, are certainly not um, the image that I had formed in my mind of them. So it is, it's about putting those biases and preconceptions away. But you're, you're right as well about this idea of... Um, it's just it's when you're in that practice it's it's beyond words there's just there's just a knowing that comes um god is 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 completely unknowable because it's completely beyond anything that we can ever imagine but at the same time and you mentioned this about paradoxes is that god is intimately knowable at the same time um as we feel that presence in our practices and as you mentioned that that practice of centering prayer where you invite god in and you even drop the 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 idea of, of feeling love or feeling anything to do with it you just simply be with god um i guess the other part of that is is that you mentioned there that the opposite of of, of this um inward knowing is that God is in the trees, in the sunshine, in the face of a gurgle's laugh, a kind smile when your children are, are asking you a question. You, you mentioned that quite a lot. And I'm wondering, could you 
give me your idea on that, even though I've probably just talked about it, but this idea of, of God, the unknowable, but intimately knowable at the same time. I mean, right. It, re- it really is, is, is a paradox. I mean, I guess God is as small as, you know, the tiniest piece of an atom, whatever you want to call them, is as small as that. And then as large as, as the universe that they tell us is constantly expanding. So that's, just from one extreme to the other, from the tiniest extreme to the largest extreme, God is God is with within that. Um, uh, God is really in everything. I mean, God is in the trees and the mountains, and, the, and God is in the smile of of, of a child. Um, and God is unknowable. We don't even, and that's what we think God is. So it's 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 it is a it truly is a paradox but god is god is is in 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 everything yeah. and i guess like thomas keating kind of says you know i guess kind of and i'm paraphrasing him terribly but i know you, god just is and the best way to to know god is just to be with god and, and just to be so because god just is and the best way to be with god is just to be which is what you do in in meditation or centering prayer yeah, it's um, it's it's hard to it's hard to um, describe this to someone who who hasn't felt that or doesn't have that kind of deep connection. It, it really, it's it's not something that you can put into words. I think that um, you can you can sort of dance around. You can have a thousand words or even a hundred thousand words, but you still not get quite down to that actual feeling or depth of feeling that you, you find in, in a practice of centering prayer it, it just goes beyond words it's just a it's just a deep knowing really isn't it um i guess we, we just have to um as you say entrust entrust god and, and and just um the best way to describe it is as you mentioned in our book just let that um god or creator just fill us with, with their with their their love their healing um, their light and their joy and what we find then is that even though we can't quite adequately describe this um, it just changes us and we begin incorporating this into our day with periods of silences it just changes us from within um, I know that um, you find that uh, it has a massive changes in your life you've you've said that um, through your practice of centering prayer and your, your periods of sits and it's, it's made you a better father you've you have a greater interaction with your your children you're you're you've become a better husband to your wife um and and just through um the the, the t- tapering or t- um removing of, of emotions that you would once would have felt could you talk a little bit about that Sure. I mean it, it really it does do to do all of that I mean as I look at my life, you know, it makes me, I think I'm, again, I'm, I'm still a work in progress, but I'm much better at just listening to people. So being, you know, with my children and, and, and giving them what they need from me and each one of them is different. So I, I'm, I think I'm a better listener and, and just giving, honing in on what, is, what do they need. And, and I'm better with my wife in terms of knowing she doesn't want me to talk. She just wants me to sit there and listen to her perhaps, or maybe recognizing when she wants me to take action. So I'm just better at being with people and then maybe giving them what they need, whether it's my wife or my, or my children. Um, and even my day job, I'm a much more confident person. Um, I work with uh, large corporate account, retirement accounts from uh, companies, and I'm much more confident as I talk with, with 
with my clients is what I've discovered as a result of my, you know, at this point, seven or eight years of center and prayer practice. I'm a much more confident person as, as I speak to them. I'm probably more present for them, listening to their needs and then reacting to their needs and making sure they're getting what they need from me. And I'm, and I'm not, and I'm more confident in myself um, as I, as I conduct my daily business. So a, a lot of those fruits of just, I guess, presence and redoing it, I guess it comes down to being present to whatever moment I'm in, whether it's my children or work or, or the, or whatever community setting I'm in, and then knowing what's the appropriate reaction um, or action I should take. And sometimes it's no action. I mean, sometimes people just want you to listen to them. And same thing with my, my daily clients, if they're angry about something, they don't, maybe they just, maybe they just want to yell and I let them yell. And then I repeat back to them what I've heard and then everything's fine and they can hang up the phone and get on with their day because they, they were able to release what they were angry about. So that's centering prayers just, I guess, helps me bring to the moment what it requires of me. Yeah. And you mentioned there um, that quite, quite rightly. So it's, it's a work in progress. Um, no matter how far, how, you know, deep that we think that we've progressed and, um, certainly I felt like this too. There's times where I've felt that I have it all together only to find at some point <laughs> I don't have it all together. Um, I'll go from one extreme where I feel on top of the world. I feel that I've, everything is flowing for me in my life. And then suddenly I'll, I'll find a challenge um, or, or something that, that kind of brings me back down. But I think that um, it's this these feelings of emotions, these um, human emotions that, that we feel um, and we feel guilt that um, that we respond in, in a manner um, because uh, we feel that, um, well, I should be beyond this now. I, I have this practice. It's changed me so much. Um, and yet I still find myself triggered by events and situations. Um, and I think that we feel that we should be more divine in our nature um, rather than just accepting that, as you say, we are a work in progress. And it's not about removing those emotions. It's about um, getting better at handling them. Um, now, you've also mentioned that uh, you've had three rebirths because of this form centering prayer, the last of which you mentioned that you were you were very much an introvert um, before or, or during this year, but you've now found that the ability to, to stand up in, in church and, and speak out because of because of the, the, the practices of centering prayer and because of what you've learned about yourself. That you're now able to get up and, and, and speak to, and I think you mentioned this earlier on in the interview, but speak to large swarms of people um, over Zoom and in person, um, just because it's given you that confidence to, to do that. I mean, it definitely has. I, I, I was public speaking scared the heck out of me, but now it, it doesn't. And, and, I, and I've, I've found myself speaking in front of, you know, one on one with people, small groups of five, 20 um, in January. And I, I actually was invited to speak. It, there was a centering prayer weekend summit. So uh, a gentleman by the name of Keith Christich organized it and asked me if I wanted to be part of it. And he invited 10 speakers, you know, including myself. Um, to come to a summit that he was going to do on a Saturday, Sunday, and invite people to come in via Zoom to do it. And lo and behold, it had over 400 people that were part part of it. So um, 
I initially I was a little nervous when when my when the weekend came and I spent a lot of time preparing my talk and getting myself ready for it. And then kind of the the morning of the I was speaking at noon, I began getting anxious in, interiorly. And then I thought, well, this is really no different than speaking to five people or ten people. I'm going to take the same energy and I'm going to, I'm going to do the same thing no matter how big or small it was. So it ended up going real. I actually did a short centering prayer sit before twelve and then plugged into the zoom session he introduced me and i and i did my talk and, and i was fine and i really enjoyed it but so yes yeah, so that was a neat experience just so i've i've, I've you know talked to people one-on-one -on -one, small groups 5 10 15 20 75 90 and in this case in january there was about 400 people so it, it was it was a neat experience so yes i, I think center and prayer has given me confidence that um to do that yeah there's so many good passages in your, in your book. And um, as I said, I, I found some of it really beautiful. Um, the way that you've expressed yourself in it and the changes that, that you've made. One of, the, um, one of the things that I'm interested in is you got this idea that um, God was telling you to slow down. Um, and I just relate to that once again, that you're missing things in life. Um, I've been told to slow down so much. And so I have slowed down now. And um, I know that you go to the gym and stuff like that, which is not something that I, I do. I used to work out um, not particularly very well, three three days a week. Um, and I found that um, I would have got quite um, uh, agitated or anxious if I, if I didn't um, get that opportunity to, to work out. So I guess through, through a practice like centering prayer, um, I have learned to slow down now. And instead of running, I walk. Um, and as you mentioned, I become more present in the moment. I practice presence. Um, so I think that um, slowing down is just not something that a lot of people do in our, our fast-paced society. And I wonder if you could maybe talk about the benefits that, that you've found about slowing down your life. Um, and some of it, and I don't remember if you're referring to in the book, some of it, like at my church, I was doing too many things. And, and I realized um, I, I was, I think I was running, I'm trying to remember what I was doing. I was leading an adult uh, kind of a, not, I, would call it, I guess I call it a Bible study, but we were doing a lot of interesting topics. So I would bring in audios and we would listen to, a, you know, a 20 minute section and then have a discussion on something that I, uh, like I would find an interesting speaker that spoke on a podcast and I would just play it as part of, so I was doing that at the church and I know I was, I was helping new people come into the church. And then we had a, uh, we had a fund that we helped outside people, not, not necessarily part of the church where they needed uh, groceries to eat or they needed to pay an electric bill or they were suffering financial you know, hardness in their life temporarily. So they could come to the church and we could help either pay a rent for one month or we could pay a utility bill or we could provide them with food. So I was doing three different things and, and I realized that I was doing too much. So I, I, I kind of took a deep breath and said, what, what should I be doing? And it turned out I, I should be doing just the, the Sunday school and not every week. So I actually, I just made a decision. I stopped being, you know, helping that group that brought new people into the church. I stopped doing that. I stopped working on that group that helped outside people who needed that additional help and support for financial reasons and decided right now, I think this is where I need to be. 
and I actually even stopped going to church every week because <laughs> my wife didn't come with me. My daughter did. So half the family would go. And I felt like I was like not being there for the other half of the family that wasn't going to church. So I even I slowed everything down and decided what was most important um, was that group that came on Sundays that I taught every other Sunday. And, and that's what I did. So, and I'm glad I, and I'm, and, and I think my wife kind of told me you're, you're trying to do too much. You need to slow. So it was actually a wise wife who kind of looked at me to say, what are you doing, Rich? You, you got too much going on here. I'm not going to tell you to stop, but you need to slow down. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I also read and um, was wondering how, how this kind of relates. You have this idea of hitting the reset button that, Centering prayer is, is your form of hitting the reset button when things get get too much in your life, and I guess that kind of relates to this idea of slowing down. But certainly, you you mentioned there where you had this really bad experience of a burst water pipe in your in your basement, and <laughs> I, I can relate to these situations. You know where things just seem to happen out of the blue, and they challenge you. They absolutely challenge you. You had a bad experience with your car overheating. And um, so centering prayer is like hitting that reset button, isn't it? It's it's just slowing It is. Down. Like, I guess in hindsight, when I look back at all the different things that I mentioned in the book that I experienced, I think I got through them because of centering prayer, like the burst pipe event that, that was, and that was a, you know, that was, that whole thing was almost like a 24 hour thing that like i remember going to bed i went into our basement in our house just to make sure the lights were off and i noticed that the, the carpet was sopping wet and i didn't know why and i went into the utility room and i can see the water heater had burst and there was like a shower of water so we had to figure out how to turn the water off and then then the next morning we had to, to deal with you know a plumber coming to fix the water heater and, and people coming to, to fix the basement and stop mold from happening and I and I had to work that day as well and I had a bunch of meetings that I had to participate on via um, a, a called zoom um, we were preparing we were trying to win a new client for work and we were we were planning for that and I had to have a, I had multiple phone calls throughout the day and the kids had a half a day at school. So they came home early. So it was just a very chaotic day. I was on phone calls. I was dealing with plumbers and my wife was with me too, dealing with different people coming in and out of the house to fix the water heater. And, and there was people in the house that were, uh, they were cut. They had to, so that we didn't have mold. They had to, they had to cut the wall from the floor up about 18 inches in three quarters of our basement had to be removed because it was wet and you can't have mold that would be very dangerous so and then they had to pull up all the carpeting and put all kinds of we had 20 bag garbage bags full of stuff um, that got wet so all this loud noise and banging is going on and i and i'm working and my kids are home and then when i look back at that day that 24-hour period i think the only reason i was able to get through it was because of because I had been practicing centering prayer, and despite the outer chaos, I can have inner calm and peace. And I was—I'm not saying I was perfectly full of inner peace and calm all that time, but I was able to get through it. Be probably because of my practice. If I had not practiced centering prayer, I'm not sure I would have even gotten through that 24 hours. <laughs> yeah, and you also had another experience similar to that with a. With a, with a car overheating, I think it was the, the pump or the, the battery or something like that. But I guess the point that, that I'm making here is I've had experiences like those two, really, really challenging times and really challenges, challenging experiences. And before I, you know, 
had a practice like centering prayer, I would have just reacted to them. Um, I would have been a victim of the circumstance, but um, I guess with a form of, of uh, or something like centering, pra- uh, centering prayer, um, it really does bring this inner calmness and you react in a completely different different manner. You're right, you don't, um, you're not this perfectly serene person, but you become less emotional and, and, and handle things a lot better. And I, the reason I mention that there is that I'm trying to um, impress upon people the, the benefits of, of a practice for centering, of like centering prayer, um, is that many people out there don't know how to, to respond and react to that and will um, potentially react in a, in a in a non-helpful way. Maybe they need to vent on someone else. Maybe they need to turn the alcohol or something something else like that there. And I think that um, a practice like centering prayer, as you just mentioned there, for something that must have been extremely stressful for you, really did help in situations like that. And I think this is why it's so vitally important for people to, to have a practice like centering prayer. You talk about... Um, Originally, when you started praying, it was just one-dimensional. It was just talking to God, praying, um, not listening. And you have a you have a great example in your book. Like I think you, you mentioned you had a, uh, a friend who constantly talked, or was it um, a hypothetical friend that you thought, well, this person just always talks but doesn't listen, and it's it's very um, it, it it can be very frustrating in situations like that. And I guess. This is why we um, we need to change the, the, the way that we pray to God, the old Christian form of praying and have a practice like centering prayer where we, we, we listen to God, we invite God to come into us. We don't give God our problems and, and, and don't um, listen to God. We, 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 we forget that um, God speaks to us every day. We just choose not to listen. So we don't... Um, it's not us who, it's not God that forgets about us. It's us who forgets about God, and I think it's a very relevant statement. No, I mean it's just a different way of praying. I mean, I, I tell people not to give up your other ways of praying. You know, do do not give up your verbal prayer or any other ways you might pray, but just try. It's a different way of praying where I think of it as a reverse prayer, as I said earlier, where I'm letting God pray in me what God knows I need. And so, it, and it's just taking the time to, to listen to God and after you're, so you're, you're not really, even during centering prayer, if you, if you have thoughts and you feel that I've just been enlightened, you're even supposed to let go of that um, because that just might be you and your own planning and plotting. So it's really outside of centering prayer as, as I get kind of, kind of an inner tuition or inner guidance to try and do new things. I, I feel that that's God moving me to, to, to do that. So that, I mean, I guess that's the difference with, with centering prayers. It's, it's just, you're not, it's not verbal prayer. It's not chanting. It's not singing. It's not complaining or lamenting to God. It's, it's, it's actually just being with God and letting God acting you at, at a deeper level. And then learning to listen to those inner nudges outside of your your practice. And, and for me, like I know their inner nudges, I, I'll call it my barometer. My true self barometer um, is, you know, I, there's an excitement about them. Um, they might scare me, but that doesn't mean I don't try them. 
And, and as long as they don't harm me or harm others, their actions I should take. And, there, and usually there's a kind of an inner peace or calm about them. Even if they make me nervous, there's still an inner peace or calm about them. You know, as long as all of that I feel, then I feel it's something I should move, you know, move forward on and try and, and, and do. But once I start feeling like, you know, this is harming me or harming others, or there's just not that excitement about it, then I think, well, maybe this isn't God telling me to try this. And maybe I need to put the brakes on that and reevaluate. Re just wondering, I then, um, it's an interesting concept that even if you experience those moments of enlightenment, you you let them go too. And I'm, I'm just kind of wondering, um, how that kind of fits in with um this 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 concept of um the i am this concept of i am a divine being because it's it's sometimes in those moments of realization or enlightenment that we that we get those um this idea of unity with with god um that we are one and the same we're not god as you mentioned but at the same time we're 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 part of god um you also call this com becoming one so little d becoming one with big d i guess some people in in some parts of spiritual community would, would call this the higher self but i think it's all the same thing it, it's ultimately everything is god as, as we rightly know so i'm just kind of wondering about that that realization of um you being a divine being and how you how you realize that state if, if you're trying to push past those moments of enlightenment? Um, I mean, I guess the practice itself really just teaches that you're letting go of any anything that engages you. So even if you're in, the, in your center in prayer practice and suddenly you begin feeling very peaceful and euphoric or, or enlightened, you're, you're really to let go of, of that as well and just continuously come back to the present moment. So it's, it's, it's just that's just the practice is, is you're letting go of that because that may or may not be God intervening. It may just be you and, and not necessarily God. So, so that's really just what the practice teaches is, is you, you simply let go of whatever thoughts you're engaging and emotions you're engaging and come back to the present moment and let God acting you at a, at a deeper, you know, deeper level than that. Okay, interesting. I mean, it is it is confusing because you think, well, what's really happening in centering prayer? Uh, I mean, a lot's happening. You just you're just not aware of it at the time. And, you know, as I said, we're we're probably the tension in your body is definitely being released as you keep coming back to your practice over and over again, and repressed thoughts are, are being released, and and thoughts you know that you are thinking are be are being released. So you're just freeing yourself to act from your deepest self. Um, your deepest self, the true self, the person God wants you to be. So it's, I think of it as I'm sitting with God, then I'm getting up and walking with God. And I think, I think it was Thomas Keating, kind of a neat way to say it, you know, as you're sitting, it's, you know, it's divine therapy and, and we're releasing, you know, all this emotional and physical baggage of a lifetime. And when all this evacuation is occurring, that, that space that I was once filled with, he's, kind of says the Holy he's putting words to it. The Holy Spirit's rushing in and filling this space so that there, until, and I don't know if we ever get to the point where we're completely emptied. Maybe some people do. I don't think I have. I don't think I'm anywhere close, but more and more of you is being filled with the spirit 
which is a paradox because the spirit's already in there anyhow, but the space that is filled with all this baggage is being filled more and more with the Holy Spirit for you to act from when you get up from your sit. So it's, it's kind of like contemplation and action. You're sitting in silence and then you're getting up and taking action. They both, they both need each other. Your action come out of your silent sits. Brilliant. Love, love that explanation. I was just going to mention there something that you touched upon is that we, we, we have these, um, the, the, these feelings of unity or we have this unity with, with, with God. Um, but when we come out of that, um, I think it's mostly for me anyway, when I've come out of that experience, um, as you turn around and say that there's a lot going on, there's a lot going on in that state. And it, it sometimes it happens so fast and we don't really pay too much attention to it at the time. We don't really, um, we don't realize the significance of what is occurring in that state. It's only when we come out of that state and potentially we're walking with God, we enter that contemplative state that the impact of what um has happened when we're we're sitting in in, in a state like entering prayer um the impact of, of of what has actually happened then begins to, to process in our mind we then begin to really understand and that's when the changes occur maybe sometimes it doesn't happen until a day or two later but i i just think that um yeah you're right there that um it's it's there's a lot happening and we don't tend to really fully absorb it in the moment it's it's only when we come out of that practice when we're walking with god we're doing that contemplation and we begin to process that um yeah so um the other thing that i wanted to talk about was um this concept of uh non-duality um jesus and, and non-duality i would say that um where we live we, we have this kind of polarity we have a choice um and what we're trying to do is this reconciling of opposites and and um bring balance into our lives which i know that you've talked about that and i actually had these notes out um written before i had actually come across that part in your book so it was really interesting to find that you had talked about balance and so it, it's about rising above and, and, and integrating these opposites finding balance in our lives and then rising above this this concept of of um, polarity or or non-duality so that then we can become more um of of, of this idea of, of what christ was or what christ aspired to um could you maybe talk about a bit about that this concept of non-duality what it means to you Sure. And I think I continue to struggle <laughs> with it, but I think it's really just learning to accept the present moment for what it is and not judge it, not critique it, learning to accept everybody, you know, the, it, 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 people for what they are. So like, like if you think about a company, you, you don't want everyone being exactly the same. It's going to be, it could be a rather boring company or, or, or what you create could be rather boring so you want diversity so it's really just accepting the present moment for what it is and not judging it is or right or wrong but it's more than that it's, it's just accepting people for who they are and and that the diversity of people can make things beautiful so in, in a company or even if you're on a small group and you're working on a project you probably want a diverse group of people because you're going to possibly have a, a much better more creative end product so it's really just about opening 
opening to the present moment, accepting it for what it is, not judging it, and just letting the diversity of the moment and the diversity of the being willing to accept everything. I guess it's maybe the easiest way to say is just saying yes. I think Richard Rohr would say something like that where you're just saying yes instead of no, and and you're and you're not and you don't need to compete and compare and divide the field. Uh, there, we don't need to do that, and we just need to cooperate and, and work together. So I, I think it's it's a lot of all of that. Um, it's a lot of all that diversity and saying yes and, and and accepting the moment for what it is and and getting rid of the idea of we must compete. But that's what the corporate world tells us too. So it is frustrating the corporate world, and maybe they're getting better and better at it, you know. But we must compete, and the people that perform the best get the better raises, and they get the better bonuses, and they get the better and they get the promotions. And, and instead of well, why don't we all work together and get this thing done, and, and you know do a better job of sharing in the rewards of the system instead of setting up a structure where we feel that. I'm terrible because I didn't get a good bonus, a good raise, when that's probably not true. Someone else just outshined you or outcompeted you instead of us all working together. Radical ideas. So, they, I mean, they are. I mean, that's kind of goes against everything that in corporate America or, or corporations. The mantra is compete, compete. I have to compete against my coworker. Um, but I think there are some companies that are changing that and they're, and they're realizing it's that that's, that's work together. It's not about competing. It's about working together and everybody helping each other and, and moving the company forward together. It's not a massive competition. We have a long way to go, I think, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, this, it's this idea of um, scarcity, isn't it really? And you mentioned that there, that um, the abundance, the abundance of God is that there's more than enough in, in this world to do everyone right but it's this uh, false illusion of, of scarcity um we we live in so much illusion here on, on on the planet you know there's so much illusion told us in our media in our corporations in our politics um but really at the end of the day god has provided more than enough on this planet to 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 do everyone and to do every every single thing and if we could just come together um, and cooperate then as a race and um, understand each other um, and I, I know that you've mentioned quite a bit about that there is it um, and I mentioned that earlier about taking these preconceptions that we have about people about people's political views even in this current situation that we find ourselves in where we're so divided in a world of COVID between these people who have chosen to get vaccinated and those people of, of who haven't and we don't seem to want to sit down and, and listen to the opposite viewpoint um probably because of, of of the fear that that has been spread in 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 this um society but i i just want to finish off talking a bit about um the the idea of christ the idea of jesus because um this this plays a big part in my life um i recently um just like you in your book you you laid out what you had known about um the life of jesus uh, the life of the christ and I um, had created there recently like a two or three part podcast which um, kind of details the origins of Jesus and, and, and the Christ as I know it. Um, so I, I do want to talk a bit about that there. The first thing that you mentioned in that there which was an interesting concept of putting on the, putting on the mind of Christ. Do you think that's something that you maybe could elaborate a bit on? 
Sure. I mean, I think about that's what I do during centering prayer. I'm, I'm kind of putting on the mind of Christ and, and, and the mind of Christ is, is, you know, really just full of compassion and love and inclusivity and, and is, is a non-dual mind, um, which is a confusing thing <laughs> to explain to people, even for myself. But so I'm just putting on the mind of Christ and what, what are the characteristics of Christ um, and, and that is, you know, compassion and love and inclusivity and, and helping people and serving people. Um, I'm putting on all of that um, as I sit in center in prayer um, and then hopefully absorbing that and then getting up from my sits and acting from that disposition, acting from love and service and, and compassion and empathy and, and listening so that's, that's what I think of as, you know, putting on the mind of Christ. What, what, how does God want me to act in the world? And how did Jesus, I guess, if you have, what did Jesus model for us? So putting on what Jesus did, as we, the Jesus we read about in the New Testament, putting on the, the mind of Jesus and, and taking that actions in the world. Yeah, I, I find that, um, I find that I would do that too. As I said, Jesus is, um, the, or the this man who was Jesus um, has, has come to me fairly recently in my meditations I would try and aspire to it's hard to put into words but it's just this feeling of trying to aspire to to be more of who that person was this idea of perfection that um, that, that he is something that we should aspire to and um, you're right it, for me it's trying to feed more love it's trying to feed more empathy, more forgiveness, more um, awareness, more love. Um, I think I already mentioned that. Just basically all those great teachings that, that, he, that he taught to everyone. I find that it's, it's made a tremendous impact in my life so much that I do find that I have a very personal relationship with, um, with Jesus within my life. Um, as I said, I do, I do want to talk about that. We... we we both have this idea that, um, that there is a separation of, of Jesus the man and, and, and the Christ. And you do have a chapter in your book called The Cosmic Christ. I have to say that um, probably due to my rejection of, of the Christian religion um, and all that it had to do with it. At one point in my life, I, I actually was um, an atheist um, in the sense that I rejected the idea that, that there could be proof of God's existence. And with that... I rejected the idea of Jesus and the more as I have um, developed my practices of, of a form of centering prayer meditations and um, reading just various things that I've come across about Jesus, I've found that it's turned full circle for me that Jesus now plays a, a massive part of my life and I, I do try to um, wonder about the man who was Jesus and this idea of the Christ. Um, there's a very powerful statement where as you mentioned in the book, he says, before Abraham was, I am. And so we have this idea of Jesus, the, the very human man. Um, and, and he was imbued with what we would call the Christ consciousness or the infinite Christ, which was eternal and always around. And I guess the infinite Christ is is, is the embodiment of God. Um, perhaps you could give us your own definition of what you think the cosmic Christ is. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, Jesus really was just um, the human, I guess, the incarnation of God. Um, 
and 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 I, and we'll never really know. I mean, did Jesus when when did he know who he really was and what his purpose was, or did it grow over time? You know, as as he you know evolved from a, a baby to a young child to an adult, and then to his mission of perhaps three years or so as, as they tell us we don't even know was it was he continuously like when he was young did he how much did he really understand and then as he was an adult when it, when it was like this is my mission and this is what i should be doing and i i and god are are, are one uh, but he was obviously definitely the human incarnation of god and, and i believe he was god and human at, at once and then the the christ is and the crisis, the cosmic crisis is confusing. I guess it's always been, you know, from, as I talk about in my book, you know, from the, the universe being created some, uh, I don't know, what did I say, 13 or 14 billion years ago, you know, that, that was God first revealing God's self, the creation of the universe. And, and then just the earth, you know, created 4 billion years ago. And, and then, that could be like the second incarnation and then and then jesus you know, two thousand years ago um is 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 god coming to earth in the form of jesus so the christ i guess always was um these are just different versions of of the i guess the christ on, on display and the christ is i guess always expanding as we talked about earlier that it's in the tiniest particle and it's in the, in the universe which is expanding so it's 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 just kind of beyond understanding, but it's, it's just, it's just powerful. So I guess um, the Christ is, I don't know if they say it's, it's when spirit and matter come together to produce when, when matter and, and, and the Christ come to, I don't even remember what, what uh, Richard Rohr talks a lot. I don't know if you've read any Richard Rohr. He talks a lot about the cosmic Christ. And I think I pulled some stuff from what I, from what I listened to him, but the Christ really always existed. Um, Jesus is just the human personification of the Christ, quite frankly. Yeah. I think it um, certainly in, in your deep practices of centering prayer, you've, You've mentioned that total unity, that surrendering to, to God, that feeling of God entering you. Um, and I have certainly, I can relate to that there. I think in, in my own way, I must have some sort of form of centering prayer. And I, I feel that unity with all things, that state of consciousness where, as you rightly say, that you feel that God is in an atom. Um, or for me anyway, it was it was kind of like a one experience where I felt that um, that I had the consciousness of every single sentient life form in an entire galaxy, and that was that was God. But at the same time, God was inside a tiny ladybird, and yet they were both both the same state of consciousness. And so I think that for me anyway, when we have them states of unity with with God we become Christ like ourselves. Um, and I think that uh, I kind of do my research and you mentioned there that, that Jesus was not um, a Christian per se. It's, it's the, the idea of Christianity grew up around his teachings, but he, he was a, a Jew in Reformed Judaism. In, in my own kind of research, I've, I've, I've found um, lots of references to Jesus and I talk about this universality of, of Jesus and his, his universal message um, just very briefly the the, the, the great uh, Muslim um, uh, 
the great Muslim mystic or Sufi mystic Ibn Ibn Arabi, he talked about um, when he was a child that uh, before he set out to, to become on his mission that he was in, he would have received visions and dreams of Christ telling him to go out into the world and you know spread the message of God. Obviously, later that he became a a, a Muslim, um, but it was interesting that initially he started off receiving images and messages of Jesus. Um, then we have um, the, the 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 kind of the famous Indian yogi Yogananda, and um, in his autobiography, they 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 talk about um, his his reference to to Jesus and his love of Jesus. And um, so I just get, guess what I'm trying to get at it is that. Um, through these two examples um, and, and more, we get this idea that Jesus is just not Christian, that his, his message is universal um, and, and can be um, taken by anyone and, and, and utilized by any religious practice or um, philosophy. And I guess this is where, as you said at the beginning, we're centering prayer. It's just not a, a Christian practice in the same way that... Um, you are you, you 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 it goes beyond Christianity. It can be practiced by any denomination or any faith. Um I just wondered had you any thoughts on, on that at all? I mean that's the contemplative outreach as I mentioned, which is the main center in prayer organization. And even Thomas Keating, who was really one of the founders of Center in Prayer, they, they believed he the group they believe in interfaith dialogue very very much and that we all should be talking to each other and, and sharing our, our practices um, and whatever you want to call it, whether you want to call it the Christ or cosmic Christ, it's, it's, we're probably all saying the same thing. We're calling it something different. We're, we're all connecting to God. We're all connecting to this cosmic Christ, which is in everything from the smallest to, to the, to the largest. And when you're sitting in, in meditation, you're connecting to God or spirit or, or, or higher power. Um, we're, we're all, I mean, God, I envision God's looking down at us and saying, can't you guys all just get along? We, we've splintered off and just even in Christianity, there's huge, obviously, as you know, the huge diversity um, in, in Christianity and, and fighting and inner fighting going on. And God's probably just wondering, why don't we all just, can't we all just get along? And, and you're, you're all wrong, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> Fantastic. And just very briefly then, um, so what, what are you up to now? What, what is your, what, what keeps you occupied now other than centering prayer? You mentioned that earlier. Um, and I mentioned at the beginning that you actually begin to teach now and coach. Can you Give us some idea of what it is that you you do to spread this idea of centering prayer other than just podcasts. Sure, sure. Um, well, actually, like tomorrow, I, I, a, lot, a lot of church groups will come to me and I'll, I'll do a kind of an introduction to centering prayer workshops and answer questions. And I actually have one I'm doing tomorrow evening for a uh, via Zoom, but it's, it's, it just so happens to be a, a church that's about 30 minutes from where I live. I'm going to meet with them via Zoom and just present the idea of, of contemplative prayer and centering prayer, share the history, share how you do it. We'll do a sit together and then I'll answer any questions they might have and give them some resources for those that want to further explore it. So I'm doing, I do that type of stuff where I'm teaching it to whether it's a church group or I've had spiritual director groups ask me to speak. And I've had, I even had 
on the West Coast, there was a Sandy, the Presbyterian Church, I guess, but they have what's called a Presbury. And, and in the San Diego, California area, the pastors, um, that Presbury had me come speak to them and talk about how can a practice such as center and prayer help those in ministry, specifically pastors, and how can it help them? So I guess I'm doing teaching where I'm invited, um, or I end up just dialoguing with people and, and let them know I'd be happy to come in and, and sh share center and prayer and cater to whatever your, your group's needs are. So that's that type of stuff. I'm doing a lot of teaching, whether it's with churches or spiritual director groups or pastors that maybe represent the church churches in a certain area. And then I do some one-on-one -on -one coaching and that's Generally, three different types of people have come to me, I've noticed, either people that are brand new and know that they, they, they need someone to hold them accountable to start a practice because they don't think if, if they don't have someone helping them, they just think it'll never get started or it will never stay. So I'll help people establish, hopefully, a long-term practice. I'll help people that are already practicing but go deeper in their practice and then begin further exploring who is my true self and how can I live from this person and connect to this person and then I've also helped, I've had some pastors reach out to me to say, I'm burning out and I know I'm spending all my time helping others and helping my congregation and I'm burning out and I need to do some self-care. So I help them create a practice and take better self-care of themselves. So those are some things I'm doing, teaching as well as one-on-one -on -one coaching. And then, as you said, you know, getting on a lot of podcasts, just sharing Center in Prayer in case it can, as it's healed and transformed me, it could do the same for others and just exposing people to it. And so um, if people want to reach you, if people want to um, look at your look at your work, um, where's the best place to, to find you? Where can they connect with you? Where can they find your book also? Sure. Well, the best place really just be my website, silenceteaches.com. If they come there, um, my, I have a free ebook on Centering Prayer on my site that they'll find. And then they'll also find my book on the website. If they want to invite me to speak, I have a, a invite me to speak page. If they want to explore the idea of coaching and working with me one-on-one, -on -one, I have a, a page in that section. And then if they want to follow me on social media, they can just... Uh, the uh, different social media icons are on my website. So whether they, whether they like Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, they can push the right button on my website and then it'll take them to that social media section where I, you know, share a lot of information on a almost daily basis. But silenceteaches.com is really the best place to find me and learn more about me and what I'm doing and, and, and my book. Fantastic. Rich Lewis, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I just want to thank you for coming on, dedicating quite a long time to, to this year. But um, as I said, there was so much in your book that, um, that I thoroughly enjoyed and, and really got um, a lot out of myself. Even though that we have similar experiences, even though that I have similar practices, I found myself learning so much of you. So thank you once again for, for agreeing to do this and I hope you have a blessed day. No, thanks for having me on and hopefully this will be uh, helpful for your community. So thank you very much. Okay, bye. Take care.